Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cleared for Takeoff. I'm your host, Gavin Rice, and I want to share what I've learned in aviation, both on the job, off the job, and what I've encountered everywhere in between. Well, last week's episode, I told you about how busy things were getting and, and how much flying was happening. And amidst all that busyness, I, I have some some incredibly sad news that, that I, I just need to share, uh, even though it's not exactly aviation related, but it, it's about me. During that the, that uh, back-to-back three-day trip time, uh, which what was that, April 28th, you know, uh, so Thursday through Sunday, and then uh, back-to-back with a Monday through Wednesday, the, the first through the third. During that time, my, my grandmother, Helen Westcott, or as we called her by the, the Swedish name for, for grandmother, Mumor, she passed away at the age of 88 years old. And she, she lived a long life. Uh, heck, just a couple years prior, she was still skiing uh, into her 80s. She was a remarkable woman, incredibly loving, incredibly caring. She really put everyone else uh, above herself. You know, she really cared about everyone. And that's probably one of the reasons why uh, she was a nurse back when she was, she was working. Is she really cared uh, about people. And, and that, of course, included, included our family. And so, unfortunately, you know, it was, it's just a poor timing because this, this back-to-back three-day trip, I was, I was on the road and I, I couldn't be with family. It wasn't, it wasn't a shocker to us. We, we had seen this coming. She was unfortunately diagnosed with bone cancer, I want to say about eight months ago. And so we knew that, you know, this is, this is terminal. There's really not much we can do. We did try some radiation treatments, but when the body gets older, it's, it's very hard to, to handle that, those radiation treatments. And so it, it honestly, at the time, it, it, made, it, it made it worse for her. Uh, and so uh, we decided in, in, conjunct- in conjunction with her that, that you know what, it's, it's not worth making it worse right now uh, in terms of how you feel after radiation treatment. So we, we opted for uh, just being able to, to handle the pain uh, and, and, uh, and, and treat the, the, the pain with, with some medications. And so she was quite sharp for the longest time, even though physically she was slowing down. Uh, you know, she was she could she could get up and, and transfer from a wheelchair to her bed and then, and then to a table to sit down and have coffee with us and uh, and then when I would go visit her, uh, she was just up in New Hampshire, just uh, just shy of a two-hour drive from where I live, and uh, we, we would go and and I'd uh, pack up her wheelchair, put her in, uh, in in my car, and we'd we'd go and we'd go on these outings. We'd go to Walmart. We'd go to uh, a CVS. You know, we'd we'd do different errands. And you know, I'd bring out the wheelchair, and she was able to scoot herself around. It was one of those wheelchairs that uh, the the footrests were removed, and so she could kind of just scoot around. You know, her her legs were still working pretty well. She was a little weaker, but she was she was so sharp, and she wanted to go out and do things. And so it was, it was pretty hysterical, honestly, just going through Walmart, and you know, just seeing her take off <laughs> across the floor to go get something. And you know, I felt like it was almost like chasing a toddler. You know, you'd have to keep up with her. She was pretty quick. Um, so right up until the end, she was she was very sharp. Um, and I, I had seen her about a couple weeks before she passed, before things got really busy for me. 
and at this point she she was slowed down a little bit more it was it was a little more difficult to to go out and about but just mentally she was still very much with it she knew what was going on and she had this this you know we she and i had this discussion um again about two weeks prior to her passing uh, a pretty profound thing she told me that i think april is my month i think april is the month that that i i'm gonna leave and she told me how she didn't want to you know death is kind of this looming entity you know that that i don't want to leave my loved ones behind but she she knew that that you know her body uh, couldn't handle much more and that was just honestly very profound for me to hear that someone knew the the time of year the the month that that they think they would leave and she was she was pretty much right she she actually passed on may 1st uh, in the evening but you know things right up to the end the last couple days were a little tough uh kind of dropped off you know she was in more pain and it was harder for her to to drink and to eat and so that i mean that happens you know the body really finally slows down but she was she was correct i mean she really did she passed uh, essentially towards the end of april the funny thing we've joked about in the family is that she really passed on may 1st so that she could collect one more retirement check (laughs) uh which i I think is kind of funny and it, it just knowing her i mean she she wasn't really the comical type exactly in terms of telling jokes but she was very in it when it when it came to having a sense of humor and uh, i could i could totally see that as as something she would plan <laughs> to get that one more check uh, but yeah i had i had a very nice visit with her uh, again a couple weeks before she passed and you know there's one moment she she said hey you know i just I want you to know that this this could be a goodbye and I oh, almost broke down right there in front of her and but that ended up being the goodbye uh, which is it's tough it's really hard to think of and it, it's one of these things where you know someone is is going to leave and you want to have that one last goodbye you know and I, oh, I really wish I did have another chance to, to say some things, but, but we left it on a really good note. You know, we, we did. And um, <clears throat> towards the end, the, the, the last week, when things kind of slowed down for her, she still had my mother, uh, her two sisters. So she had her three daughters with her, and they were all there with her and being very supportive, and, and that's what she needed. Um, and, and I honestly think that you know, Momor didn't probably didn't want me to see her uh, in this declining state towards the end. She really, I, you know, she and I, I think we left it on a really good note. Uh, and again, it's, I, I would have loved to see her again. I would have loved to have that, that one more cup of coffee with her, you know. But that's just how life goes. And I, I can't, <clears throat> I can't, you know, regret anything, you know, because that's not what she would want. And in terms of you know staying busy and, and having these back-to-back three-day trips and then having an interview, she would have wanted me to, to press on, to continue. And so that's exactly what I did. I knew that, you know, even though she passed on the first, which was the, the middle of that second three-day trip, I actually, I had recorded that episode 
uh, last week's episode uh, after this had happened. But I, I needed I needed a distraction. You know, I, I needed to find the right time to to process her passing. And that's not easy. You know, like I said, being on the road, being away from family while this is happening, it's it's not easy. It really isn't. But I, I needed I needed to press on because that's exactly what she would want me to do. And then when the time is right, when I came back with family, you know, I, I could I could properly process it then. And so I, I know she would have wanted me to, to go to my interview and, and still do that and, and, and press on. And so that's exactly what I did. I, I still went to the interview. I, I still had my day trip on, uh, on that last Friday. And I, I stayed busy. And I, I, I did finally have some time to, to process things, uh, especially on the weekend when I um, came home to, vi- to visit with some family. And it was it was tough, but it was really good. It was my nephew's, uh, gosh, he's six years old now. We had a lovely barbecue, and we had some great family time. And so, yeah, it's just really tough. It's it's not easy, you know. Even though we saw this coming, we the family saw this coming. You know, it was it was inevitable. It's not easy. It, it feels no different than if someone leaves us, you know all of a sudden, you know, in a split second, it's, it's, it's tough. So I've been kind of dreading recording this just because I didn't ever want to. Um, but, but I need to, I need to, to just talk about it and, and kind of, I don't want to say get it off my chest, but, uh, you know, just to help process things and, and to, to kind of share what's going on in my life. Cause it's, it's hard, you know, you can, <laughs> You can see people's stories on Instagram. You can you can talk to someone in person, and you can think, "Wow, this this guy's got it together." And, you know, everything seems you know so perfect. And uh, but life life hits us, you know. And and dealing with a loved one's passing is <laughs> it's no easy feat. It really isn't. So, but but anyway, I mean, like I said, Momor was was remarkable. One of my fondest memories. Um, was back in 2020, which was a tough time for all of us with with COVID-19. But during that time, um, I hadn't seen her in a while because of, you know, this damn virus. (laughs) And I wasn't flying much. I had uh, left Embry-Riddle for the summer just to to be with family because they weren't going to hire me full-time until, uh, you know, things were figured out with this virus. And so I was was home with my parents and... um, it was it was tough again tough for all of us but there was an opportunity for me to, to rent a Cessna a couple times and so I I said to my mom hey let's let's go up and, and visit Momor and and um, and my aunt Wendy they're up in, in the lakes region Newfound Lake region of uh, New Hampshire and instead of driving up you know from from my parents house it's about a three hour drive or so I said you know what why don't we take a little plane and, and fly up there there's this tiny little strip um, in in the Newfound Lake region, and we, we could fly up there, and then we could just have a little under the wing picnic. And so that's what we did. My mom and I we uh, we went down to, to Northampton, Massachusetts, and, and there's a, a little uh, a little airport there. We we rented a plane. We flew up. We actually on the way up to the lakes region, we we flew over our house. And uh, my dad was out walking the dog, and we, we did a couple circles, and he was waving at us. And then we continued on up to, to New Hampshire. 
and it's it's this fun and, and beautiful uh, area. Uh, this approach, this arrival, was really fun and, and challenging. It, it was uh, the strip was kind of tucked in between a, a couple of of decent sized hills. Uh, I want to say five to six hundred foot high hills, and so you're you're coming on the downwind, and you got to watch out for the trees below you as as you're turning downwind to base and then turning final. Uh, but just absolutely gorgeous, and one of the I think it was one of the shortest strips I'd landed on. I think it was only fifteen hundred feet long. Um, but uh, yeah, we we landed. Actually, I remember we, we came in. I was coming in on the approach, and I just I was coming in a little high, a little fast, so I went around, um, and uh, I just explained that to my mother, who I think I had only taken up once or twice before. Uh, she hadn't flown in a little plane that much, uh, but I, I assured her that hey, you know nothing's wrong. We're we're just going around just to try that again, and then we landed safely and uh, back taxied on this little strip, and then there was uh, my aunt and my aunt Wendy and and Momor were were standing there and. Swung it around, parked it, shut the engine down, and we got out. And it, you know, it was this. It was right towards the beginning where you know we were all, all of us were kind of locked down. We were we were really, uh, we weren't sure what was going on, and and there was a lot of fear, and you know nobody wanted to get sick, and so, you know, human interaction was, was not something anyone was doing. Uh, but we we were like, oh my gosh, we haven't seen family in so long and we just were like you know what screw it we we need to hug you you know we need to embrace that's that's what we need uh, we're family and we haven't seen each other in so long so you know it was it was a, a little bit risky I guess because if, if one of us was sick I mean the, the last thing I ever would have want to happen is you know for me to be fairly healthy but then to get my grandmother sick I mean that would have been terrible uh, but we were all healthy and, and we remained all healthy which was good and we just had this lovely uh, under the wing picnic and it was just it was beautiful because it was the first time that Momor had uh, seen me in in my element you know as a pilot and next to a plane and we took some pictures and it was really great because my my uncle um, he he passed away back in the 80s uh, in an accident sadly but he was the only other pilot in the family I think he had his private pilot certificate and he was actually about to ship off to uh, Air Force training. He was he was going to be a, a pilot in the Air Force. And so, other than than him, I'm I'm really the only pilot in the family. Uh, and so it was, it was definitely unique for for Momor to to see me. You know, bring this little Cessna in and, and have a nice under the wing picnic. Uh, and so that that's you know one of many fond memories that I have of her. And. And we've just always had so many great times. I and mean, one of the things that we've done in the the Westcott side of the family is, is a lot of these summers we'd all get together and uh, celebrate. You know, her birthday is is in March, just a couple days before mine. Um, but it, you know, when, when family had time to get together, m most of the families in the Northeast we got some uh, down in the Georgia area. Uh, but when everyone comes together for the summer, it's it's you know a time to be with family, and we celebrate her birthday, and we. You know, every year we'd usually have cookouts and and uh, we'd be by the lake at uh, Newfound Lake. We'd go swimming and it was just we're we're really tight knit family. And and she was you know she was the, the star of all that, the center of all that, and uh, just so many fond memories of her. So it's it's not easy, you know. Again, it's it wasn't by surprise. She was declining, and that's what happens when you get old. It's it's the the circle of life, you know. But she, 
she, like I said, very profound that she, she knew when she was going to go. And we had a good discussion. There was definitely some good closure there, but it was still, yeah, not easy, you know, and being on the road, you know, <laughs> having, having to find this out when I'm, I'm not even home to, to be there with family. That was, that was very challenging. Uh, but, and I think a lot of people, everyone handles grief differently. You know, I, I have the way that I do it is I, you know, I sit down for a little bit. It could be an hour, could be less than an hour. And, and I spend some time processing it and that happened for a few days. But, but then when it comes time to put on the uniform, to, to show up to the airport, go to work, I can chamber it. You know, I set it aside and there's, there's nothing that's going to, you know, get in the way of me safely operating an aircraft and it's it's honestly a good distraction to keep me busy um so that I, it doesn't bog me down too much because i i really do need to to keep pressing on and and that's exactly what Momor would have wanted for me and so that's exactly what i did you know i still went through with this interview i i could have called out of those trips i could have rescheduled the interview i could have called off that other trip but I just knew that that's not what she would have wanted. She would have wanted me to, to press on and, and to do my best. And so that's what I did. And so on that Thursday, I, I went to my interview. And um, that's right, because the last episode I recorded, I was talking about how I was still preparing for it. Uh, so I went to that interview. It, it went really well. Uh, it really did. And I want to say four days later, uh, I think it was on this past Monday, I got a phone call that I have a job offer. And so kind of like I said last time, I'm, I'm not going to go too in far depth because I, I want to kind of get through training first and make sure I get through. Um, but but I will report to you now that, that I, I got the job offer and I will be starting in a couple months. So I, I got a couple more months with the, with the current flying I'm doing now and then I'll be I'll be moving on back to some training and then and then back to flying for a different company. So it's very exciting that that uh, I got that gig, and, and I just I like to think that you know Momor was was rooting for me. I'm I'm not religious in any way, but but I know she's she's in a good place now, and she's thinking of me. She's rooting for me, and and I'm pressing on, and I'm doing this for her. So anyway, that's kind of a quick recap of of what happened the past week. There's a lot going on, and. Uh, I think that last day trip, Friday the 5th, uh, or maybe on Saturday the 6th, uh, the company had thrown another three-day trip on me, uh, on, on my schedule for the uh, middle of the following week, uh, so Tuesday the 9th through the 11th. So here, as of right now, I'm, I'm recording this episode uh, actually on my overnight in Buffalo, New York. Haven't been up here before. It's, it's a beautiful area right next to Niagara Falls, uh, but it's just all of a sudden I... Uh, I'm away from home a lot. It's it's pretty interesting. So which tells me that some things are shifting in the company. You know, before I would go on a two, three, four, maybe even five week cycle of of not getting called to work, but now that was only let's see one, two. That was a three day break before flying again. So it's you know I'm I'm not complaining in any way, uh, but it's a lot. It's new for me to to be working a lot. Uh, it's good. I, I like it. I really enjoy it. Uh, I've been flying with some really awesome captains. We've been having a, a great time. In fact, this captain that I'm flying with on this this current trip, I I haven't laughed so hard in a long time, and this has been really good considering the last week. Uh, we've just he's just he's a funny guy. He's got some great stories to share, and we're just we crack up. Uh, and and he told me he hasn't laughed this hard in a long time. So I think you know, there's some really good synergy right there. 
between the two of us that we we get along really well and and it's just oh what a blast uh, and, and you know, I'm recording this in the morning here later on we're gonna go out to lunch and because uh, our report time I think is five or something it's it's a late report and we get in late back to Boston tonight which is unfortunate but it, it does give us some time as, as a crew uh, to to, to go out and, and to, to hang out and get some food. So I'm really excited about that. And in fact, uh, let's see, yesterday um, we had an overnight LaGuardia and it was the first time I've had a, a long overnight. It was a, a 20 hour overnight. And one of my good friends from high school is in, in the New York City area. And for the longest time, she's told me, hey, you know, let me know when you've got a, a LaGuardia overnight and we can hang out at some point. And, and I, I've had quite a few LaGuardia overnights or Kennedy overnights, but there's just not enough time. A lot of these overnights are the minimum rest, 10, 11, 12 hour overnights. And that just does not give you enough time to, to go hang out, to explore the city and, and to see stuff and, and go meet with people. But I finally got a 20 hour overnight. And so I, I let her know and I said, hey, I'll, I'll be in the area. And uh, she said, yeah, I've, I've got some time. Let's go, uh, let's go to Brooklyn, um, you know, a few stops away from where I'm going. Uh, we can meet up before I go to classes. Um, she is in med school right now, which is phenomenal. She's doing really well. And, and it, was, it was so great to catch up. So the, the captain and I, actually, we both went from, uh, we were staying the, uh, near the LaGuardia Airport in Flushing, Queens. And we took the seven line, went all the way into, uh, into Manhattan. And I was supposed to get off at Grand Central Station, but uh, we were chatting so much that I missed that stop. <laughs> All of a sudden, two stops later, we're in Times Square. Uh, and we both got off, and, and he went on his way. Um, the captain was going to go do some exploring in Manhattan. And then I realized, oh, man, I got off at the wrong stop. So I doubled back, took uh, two stops back the other direction, went to Grand Central, and then took the, I think, the four or the five train out towards Brooklyn. And we... Um, I forget the exact area. Well, it was, it was near the, the Brooklyn Museum. So if you know New York City, it was, it was near the Brooklyn Museum there. Um, a really nice area, really beautiful area. And uh, met up with my friend. We had a great time at this little cafe. We were just eating some, some breakfast, having a coffee, and, and, and just catching up. It had been, gosh, four years, I think, since I had, had seen her last. She, um, she did her undergraduate work in, uh, at UMass Amherst. And so that, that's where my, my girlfriend, Laurelyn, also did her undergraduate, too. So, you know, there were a couple times where we met up, but it was just, you know, life got so busy. I hadn't even seen her since before uh, the great COVID-19 virus of 2020. And so it, it had been a lot. So we, we had a good time catching up, and uh, we're definitely planning on, on meeting up again at some point in the future. She's got finals coming up, so she's going to be really busy. But she's, she's remarkable. We had actually met in Spain uh, when I was in high school, so, let's see, it was sophomore year of high school, 2014, and there was a, a really awesome opportunity to, to do this exchange program. So I had an exchange student who, who lived with us for uh, a few months, and then in the spring I, I went over and, and lived there in, in uh, just outside of Madrid, a suburb of Madrid, Las Rozas, um, and uh, got to to immerse myself in that culture and it was it was a phenomenal program and so my, my friend uh, she was also uh, on exchange from a different school and, and that's where I met her and and so since then we've become really good friends and and uh, it's just so unfortunate it was four years since we had actually met up uh, so that was really great and and definitely hoping to 
to meet up again some more. And so we had some great conversations. You know, I was asking her all about you know her future endeavors and and you know the specialty she wants to go in within uh, within medicine. And uh, and she's so remarkable. It it made so much sense. She was telling me how. You know, I never saw this coming that I was I was going to go into med school. You know, there's no one in my family who's done this. It's it's just me. But but I was like, yeah, okay. You're you are so brilliant. You're incredibly smart. I it made complete sense to me that you're going into the medical field. I, I remember when we were in Spain. I was oh boy. I mean that <laughs> that 16 year old 15 15 16 year old version of me was just a young teenager having a fun time in Spain. Um, and I, I, by the end of it, I, I had gotten a good grasp on Spanish. You know, I, I could, I could speak pretty well, pretty decently well. Uh, but she was remarkable, and she I mean she spent extra time. She had one of those little dictionaries in her pocket all the time. She was constantly studying new words, and she was just so smart, so motivated, and she still is. And so it is no surprise to me that uh, that she's going into the medical, uh, the medical field. So. You know, hats off to her. It was it was really great seeing her, and she was really excited about what I was doing too, and had all kinds of questions for me. And so it was it was really fun, really great to catch up with her, and, and I'm excited to 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 meet up with her again sometime soon. So so that w- that was a really good visit, and it, it was it was really fun to to venture into the city and, and figure out the subway system of New York City. Uh, I've done it, you know, maybe once or twice, and it's. Gosh, for for a person who grew up in kind of rural Western Massachusetts, going into New York City is overwhelming. I mean, there's so many people, and it can get really confusing how to work the trains. Uh, but but now that I've done it, it's it's really not too bad. It's really not. Um, as as I was I was telling my friend when she was like ensuring that yeah, are you sure you can do this? And I was like, hey, you know, if I can fly a jet, I sure as hell hope I can navigate the subways and and get into New York City. Um, you know, and, and sure, I missed my stop at Grand Central, but I, I turned around, and, you know, went the right direction. I, I made it work, uh, so it really wasn't too bad. It was it was a good experience, and now I know. Okay, if I have a long overnight in New York City, I, I'll definitely do that again. I'll, I'll go into Manhattan, and uh, you know, this there's so many things to do. I, I have yet to go to the Intrepid Museum, which uh, they've got all kinds of aircraft there at that museum. I definitely want to do that, and then. I've uh, been to Central Park, I think, once, uh, but that's obviously a beautiful, giant chunk of, of land there that uh, in the middle of a city you can you can kind of experience nature, which I think is, is one of the coolest parts of New York City. Uh, so there's definitely a lot, a lot of things that I want to do uh, on, on the next overnight that I have, so that'll, that'll be sometime in the future. But I... You know, speaking of New York City, I've, I have been seeing a lot of it. Last week, you know, during that busy, those, those back-to-back three-day trips... I want to say I was in and out of LaGuardia and Kennedy between the both of them, gosh, I don't know, seven, eight times. It was it was so much repetitive, you know, LaGuardia turns and Kennedy turns and, you know, ending there on overnights. It was a lot. Um, and it, it's it's fine. We're, we're so used to it. The operations, uh, we really, we got it down to a science. You know, it's it's pretty straightforward. You, you kind of know what to anticipate. Um, and so it's, it, it makes it a little less stressful knowing that, that, uh, you can navigate, you know, the, the whole New York scene. I mean, it's, it's a crazy complex airspace and they have arrivals coming into Newark, LaGuardia, Kennedy. There's quite a few, uh, you know, corporate jets coming into Teterboro as well. And then you got white planes traffic. So it, things get really busy in New York airspace. Um, and, and I've got, 
I mean, ever since the beginning, I've I've gotten excellent training, and so the whole grasp on on you know radio calls and, and procedures coming into to New York's airspace, I've, I've got it down. Uh, but it's it's pretty interesting to to hear on on the frequency. You know, you'll hear someone check in with with New York Approach, and they're stumbling, and it's like, hey, you you got to be on top of it. You know, you need to be on top of it. Keep your radio calls uh, concise and get them get them across the board. You know, keep keep things clear and concise and it's it's difficult, <laughs> but you you got to be on your A game, and and uh, you could definitely hear some of the frustration and 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 some of those controllers' voices because sometimes uh, things get a little hectic. Uh, I mean, just you know, we came into Kennedy, uh, and we're on the ground waiting to cross one of the runways, so we're just sitting there for a little bit uh, to to get back to the the gate. You know, we we had arrived and just listening to the ground frequency if, if you're ever if you're ever bored go on to liveatc.net and eh, i mean all times of the day but particularly in the afternoon and into the evening at kennedy if you listen to kennedy ground oh my gosh it's it's nuts because you have what we we like to call the the international rush hour because a lot of those flights that cross the pond um, you know, to Europe or to, to Asia, where, wherever they're going, uh, these long haul flights, you have a ton of these giant aircraft, you know, these, these 787, uh, 777s, all these Boeing, you know, sometimes uh, I think there's the Airbus A380s, those giant double deckers. Uh, occasionally you'll see some 747s in there too. Uh, just these massive long haul planes uh, in and out of there. And it's, it's mostly a bunch of international airlines. And, you know, it, it's, it's hard. Uh, Kennedy's operations are very busy, and so if you're on the radio, it's it's not easy. You got to be really on top of it. But you also have all these international carriers, and you know everyone who who flies internationally has to be rated uh, under ICAO, which is the the International Civil Aviation Organization. That your English needs to be, I think, like a level four or something. Uh, and I don't know how that certification process works, uh, but I, I can tell that some people are definitely not level four. <laughs> Uh, and and it's you know it's it's no shade that I'm throwing at them, but oh boy, I mean simple taxi instructions, even progressive taxi instructions where where ground is having to to tell you each turn uh, for each taxiway that you're going. I mean those instructions were messed up many times, and so I you know I I I I'm a native English speaker, right? It's my first language, so I. You know, I need to have some respect, but I couldn't help but chuckle at some of some of the the radio calls that were going back and forth. It was it was incredibly frustrating for for uh, Kennedy Ground to to be handling all, all these all, all these aircraft all over the place, and it's it's nuts. It is absolutely nuts. Uh, but but we handle it pretty well, and and we we got to our gate, and 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 all was fine. And I think. Um, yeah, we went to Kennedy a couple times, but we were mostly in LaGuardia. It was uh, mostly on the Delta side was our code share, uh, which of course was a lot of a lot of Delta flying in, into LaGuardia. And one of the days, I forget which one it was, uh, if it was that first three-day trip or the, the second back-to-back three-day trip, I don't remember which one it was. It's all kind of a blur. Uh, but multiple times we're coming in and they're just stacking the arrivals right on top of each other. Um, and just one after another, and they're constantly, you know, you, you make your base turn, you, you line up. Uh, it was, I think, 
all week they were landing runway 22 and they say hey you know you have a 40 knot overtake over the the aircraft in front of you and <laughs> i remember after like the third time coming in i, I wish i'd remembered what day that was because i kind of want to go back into the 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 archives of the recordings and just <laughs> listen to myself uh but there was one time we're, we're coming in and you know they again told us hey you've got a 40 knot overtake on the aircraft in front of you <laughs> i remember i just came back on the radio i said working on it <laughs> which which is not you know not exactly how you're supposed to work to talk on the radio but but uh you know new york uh, at that point uh i think it was the approach controller they, they know what's going on you know they know we know what we're doing and I think I remember the, the controller kind of chuckling, you know, coming back and saying, you know, thank you. you know, so they, they know what's going on and we know what we're doing. Uh, but, you know, a lot of times they're dealing with aircraft that are don't frequent LaGuardia uh, or New York's airspace. And so they they kind of have to harp on, on some of these aircraft. But but they know that for us, OK, we know what we're doing. They know what they're doing. You know, it's everything's fine. Uh, but one time we're coming in and there is this the call sign was like whisper jet. Um, which it was some small, I don't know if it was a Honda jet or a little beach jet or something, but it was a little corporate jet, which is a little strange coming into LaGuardia because if you're, you know, if you're flying corporate uh, and you need to get into New York City, most cases you're probably going to Teterboro or White Plains, uh, you know, depending on what side of the river you need to be on. Because uh, from White Plains, you can take a train into New York City. And then from Teterboro, you know, if, if you're on, on the Newark side or, or if you need to, uh, you know, cross the bridge, you know, there's easy enough ways to get into the city from, from either White Plains or Teterboro. So it was, it was really strange to hear this corporate jet coming into LaGuardia because it's mostly 99.99% of the operations are all air carriers, um, all airlines. And so it was really strange having this jet um, coming in in front of us and we had to keep our, our speed coming in on final I think I again I think it was runway 22 we had we had to keep our speed up uh, because well there's there's traffic coming in right behind us too but then they said you know hey you, you got a 40 knot overtake slow to your final perch speed so we did but our final perch speed that day I think we had come through some clouds and it was a little bit there was some moisture and it was right at the freezing temperature so we're coming in at our ice speeds which means we're coming in about 10 knots faster than we normally do so we're coming in uh, probably close to 140 knots when normally we're doing about 130 knots. So we're, we're a little bit faster and then we've got this whisper jet in front of us. And uh, I remember, you know, we got all configured by five miles. You know, the gear was down. We got our flaps to our landing configuration. Uh, we had completely slowed to our approach speed. We made our 1,000-foot call, which is 1,000-foot uh, configured, and that just means that you know, our gear is down, our flaps are down, and we're, we're on the correct glide path and, and lateral track. And then at 500 feet, we make another call, which is 500 feet stable, and, and that means that you're on the correct airspeed and that your engines are spooled. And the engines in a, in a jet aircraft have to be spooled up uh, to roughly about half because in the event that you do have to go around, the amount of time it takes for a turbine engine to spool up is a long time compared to a piston aircraft where you get that immediate torque from the propeller. And you know the, the propeller will bite a ton of air right away and you can get an immediate response. But a jet engine, it, it takes quite a few seconds to spool up. And so if you were to go from idle to, to full takeoff go around setting, you know, it, it, would, it wouldn't be enough. And, or it, it would take too long rather. And, and you'd end up probably coming too close to the ground anyway. So that's why we, we have the engine spooled to about 50% of their capacity. 
uh, at 500 feet in, in the event that, that we need to go around. So we were all set. We made the 500 foot, you know, stable call out. Uh, it was my leg. I was I was flying, and uh, I was pretty focused on just making sure I was on glide path. So my eyes were inside quite a bit, but I started you know making a couple glances outside, and I was like, hmm, that jet is just touching down nine right now, and and we are now maybe well we're, we're just you know passing through 500 feet because we made that call which means we're about a half mile eh, three-quarter mile final we are very close to landing <laughs> and I still see them just touching around or touching down and I was thinking hmm I don't know if this is gonna work and sure enough I hear on frequency tower controller says yeah you know what this, this is not gonna work brickyard you know go around fly heading whatever climb maintain this I was like oh geez because we're trained on go-arounds, obviously. If you need to go around, you go around. You know, a lot of times tower will call the go-around, or maybe you're, you're, you're just a little too high, you're a little unstable, go around. You know, you can always go around. Uh, safety is paramount. You, you need to make sure that you're ready to land uh, and that the runway's clear. And in this case, the runway was not clear, so we had to go around. And we don't, we, we're, we don't practice these go-arounds all the time. They are, they obviously come up in recurrent training and we don't do go-arounds that often. So we're not exactly proficient in go-arounds. Still, we, we always have a safe outcome from a go-around, but it's always just an absolute cluster uh, when we're in the go-around because all of a sudden we're very busy. You know, we went from being in the, in the, in the mind frame of, of, of touching down and getting off the runway to all of a sudden now we're going around, now we gotta clean up the aircraft, now we gotta fly this heading, maintain this altitude, and, and then contact another approach control. I mean, it, things get so busy. And they actually get, I, I wanna say it's, it's busier for the pilot monitoring than it is for the pilot flying. Because the pilot flying is, is hands-on and you have all your call-outs to make to, to tell your pilot monitoring, yo, bring these flaps up, you know, bring the gear up, give me you know, this lateral track, give me this vertical mode. You know, it's, it's a lot for the, the pilot monitoring. And I was, I was flying with a, a, a you know, very seasoned captain. He'd been flying for years. And uh, so we do the go around, and 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 the first part of it was fine. Uh, and then I, I had him bring the flaps up, so at least at this point we're cleaned up. And then he started making his announcement to the passengers, so he's off the radio uh, because the pilot monitoring it's it's their duty to be on the radio. And all of a sudden I get a call of you know Brickyard turn left heading this and contact approach one three five point nine or whatever the frequency was. And so I look over, you know, expecting my pilot monitoring to be to be calling back because I noticed there was a delay in the response. And he's he's in the back making an announcement. So I was like, oh crap, <laughs> this is the first time flying a jet where all of a sudden I kind of see myself, or I kind of feel like I'm I'm in a single pilot resource kind of mode. You know, back when it was like in, in, in general aviation. And so, you know, on our yoke we have a push to talk switch, but we also have one up on our panel. And usually when you're when you're not on the controls, a lot of times we'll use the button on the panel just so that you're not you know hitting the control column and, and you're not making any sudden movements on accident when you're not the pilot flying but here i am i am pilot flying and i'm having to use the push to talk switch i'm like wow this is just like the old days of flying a, a general aviation aircraft where it's it's all you you know you're on the radios you're doing everything and so you know i responded i said all right turn left heading whatever the, the heading was 090 and contact departure 1359 brickyard whatever the call sign was and so I did that and I, I started making the turn and I didn't, you know, I was still hands-on. I did not have the autopilot on at this point just because there was a lot going on and I did not want to get caught up in trying to make sure I was programming everything correctly. And again, with my pilot monitoring, I didn't want to 
overload the pilot monitoring. And so I just, I just opted to stay hands-on because at the end of the day, I mean, I've had countless professors and instructors in the past say, sometimes you just gotta be a pilot, meaning you just gotta click off the automation and just fly the darn plane. And so that's what I did. I just opted to, to fly the plane and, and, and you know, just follow the heading, maintain my altitude and just stay hands-on. And so he comes back, uh, my pilot monitor, the captain, he comes back uh, and I said, hey, you know, you need, can you contact approach on this frequency? I didn't punch it in yet, but uh, here's our turn. Can you give me 090? And so he's busy all of a sudden some more. Uh, he contacts departure. Then uh, at this point, you know, I think that left turn, we had made a, a left crosswind turn uh, off of runway 22. And then uh, when we contacted approach, they gave us the downwind, uh, the left downwind turn. And so we're heading northeast on about roughly a 040 heading. And uh, then I just had the, the captain re redrawn the line out, meaning on our, our uh, MCDU, you know, just programming. Uh, MCDU is the, what does that stand for? The multifunction control, multi, multi something display unit, I forget the name of it. But it's essentially, it's our little computer where our flight management system uh, is, is so that we can program different things like extending a line off of a final for, for the runway so that you have some, some proper guidance. Uh, and so I, I had the, the captain do that. and. And then, you know, things were so busy and it did not help that there were a lot of similar call signs, uh, some very similar numbers. And so I, I still don't even know. I, again, I should try and find what date this was. Um, I think I wrote it down in my logbook. I, I put it like first go around. So actually I could, I could probably go back, date check it, timestamp it, and then and go back and, and listen to it online. It'd be really interesting to hear because uh, I don't know if, if air traffic control had, had messed up our call sign or we just interpreted it incorrectly. But what happened is we're on the downwind. We are just about probably five miles away from the runway. And what we thought was us, uh, we thought they gave us a call to make the left turn again, to turn left base essentially. And so we interpreted that, uh, the captain calls back and I'm like, oh dear, here we go. We are getting turned and we're right about a five mile final. So we make that turn. I think we were going 200 knots at that point, uh, but we make that turn and I said, okay, gear down. You know, Cause right away I'm like, okay, we, we are getting turned in. They are cutting us right in and, and making some room for us and we're gonna be on the ground very quickly. So you know, normally I like to, to kind of give myself some time and get all squared away. And, and you know, a lot of times gear will come down, I don't know, usually five mile final. Uh, but usually you're, you're kind of lined up straight. But at this point, we're five mile left base. And so things were happening very quickly. So I was like, gear down, let's do flaps this, flaps that. And then I'm starting to walk the speed back. And just a couple seconds after we started making that turn and after I started getting configured, uh, approach control comes back in a very desperate voice saying, you know, break it, no, turn right, immediate, right turn heading, you know, traffic, you know, da 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 da, -da. You're, you're on a collision course. I was like, oh my goodness. So all of a sudden, you know, I'm halfway through that left turn and I whip it back around to the right to avoid, you know, running into other traffic. I think it, I think it was that same call sign that was, that, or, or similar call sign that was getting us all confused. And so just a lot was going on all of a sudden. But I rolled it out, we, we, uh, we got out of that situation. I just left the gear down, even though we were getting extended a little bit further. I just said, you know what, let's just leave the gear down. We'll keep slowing down, uh, whatever speed they need us. I think, you know, 170 knots is pretty typical coming into New York. And then finally we did get the actual 
left hand uh, the left base turn and then and lined up on final and then we landed and, and then everything else was uneventful but it was just so much happened uh in in the span of just you know five to ten minutes and it just goes to show that you know you fly any aircraft you fly things can go from totally normal uh and uneventful to everything happening at once and when you're flying a jet you know, I, I've, I've got, you know, over a year experience now flying a jet, but it's still a lot. You know, it's, it's, it's never, there's never going to be a situation where I, I feel completely comfortable. You know, you have to be on top of things. You have to be on your A game because in a jet you're flying fast and things happen very quickly. And I remember, I, I'll never forget this one, um, one word of advice that a, a professor in one of my safety classes, I think, gave, and he said, you know, he, he, he would ask us, like, hey, do you drive a car? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I drive a car. I'm like, all right, when you fly a plane, you are never going to be as comfortable flying a plane as you are driving a car. And that, that has stuck with me because driving is such a normal thing for all of us. You have your driver's license, and, you know, unless you're in a, in a city where you're taking public transit all the time, you know, all of us drive a car. Right, and so it's it's so normalized that we don't even think about it, and it's it's a little scary sometimes uh, you know, the amount of distracted drivers out there. Um, but it's a lot of it's because it's so normalized. You know, we're it's it's just a regular human task of driving a car, and but I, that always sticks with me that when you fly a plane, that should not be normalized. Yes, it's our job, and and yes, we'll, you know, combined we have years and years of experience and training. Uh, but no matter what, you know, I'm, I'm obviously staying in this career for the long run. But, you know, at the end of my career, right before I'm retiring and I've got years and years and thousands of hours under my belt, it's you never take anything for granted. You know, don't be surprised if, if you learn something new, even towards the end of your career. And, and you got to you got to be prepared for the unexpected because things happen. And, and just like this go around in LaGuardia, it, it can happen and it can bite you in the butt. Uh, and so you got to be prepared for it. And so one of, one of the things that I've flown with some captains and I, and I really like, and I'm going to try and do this more too, is is it's okay to sometimes just brief what are we going to do in the event of a go-around? Because we don't do that that often. Again, like I said, we're, you know, we know how to do a go-around. We practice it on our recurrent training every year, but we don't do it that often. So our proficiency for a go-around, it's, it's not the greatest just because we don't, we're not doing it all the time. Uh, but it's it's not a bad idea to just brief a go around. You know, in the event of a go around, here's our callouts. This is what we're gonna do, and it's just a good thing to kind of refresh your mind. And and same thing when it comes to uh, if there's any wind shear, uh, or maybe it's an icy runway, or you know, a wet runway, snowy runway. You know, whatever. If if it's an abnormal situation, you know, brief what what some of the procedures are. You know, if it's a wind shear situation, you know, just quickly brief the wind shear escape maneuver. Um, if it's mountainous region, you know, brief the the terrain, the the terrain escape maneuver. There's a lot of things that we kind of just take for granted, and, and we have these callouts and these procedures for them, but we don't do them all the time. And so, like I said, our proficiency is is not really there. Uh, so it's it's not a bad idea to just to just brief those things. And and I'm you know I'm I'm starting to learn that that. You can just spend just the extra couple minutes just briefing that, because I'll be honest, uh, you know, even on the shorter legs, you know, 200, 300 mile legs that we that we fly, um, there's a lot of downtime in between. You know, you, you get to the point where you have everything set up. You know, you you get above 10,000 feet, and then on these shorter legs, we're already 
tuning in. You know, we can. What's great about 21st century technology? And we have the digital ATIS. We don't even need to tune into the frequency to get the ATIS. We can just have our A cars. You know, essentially text messaging in the sky, if you will, and just get our ATIS. You know, the weather information, the landing runways, and all that stuff. We can get that right uh, on our screens. And we, we tend to do that, and we, we do that early on, and we stay as ahead of the airplane as we can. And so there's a lot of downtime. And, and that extra little downtime, you know, you can brief something. You know, if this is going to happen, this is what we're going to do. And, and that's not a bad thing. And, and that will just en- enhance our safety awareness and, and help mitigate any, any kind of risks. And, you know, go-arounds do pose risks. You know, I've, um, that was only my second time going around in the actual jet. And the other time I was pilot monitoring. And I remember that that last time we we came close to overspeeding the flaps just because things got so busy we forgot to clean things up we didn't bring the flaps all the way up, uh, but luckily the the captain who was pilot flying on that go around was was on top of it and brought the throttle way back, uh, and then you know prompted me to bring the flaps up. But it was one of those things where so much was going on I wasn't uh, paying close enough attention to to catch it and to tell them hey we need to bring the flaps up. Um, and, and the pilot flying, you know, missed that. Uh, because it's it's in a crew environment, you're, there's a lot of waiting for cues of the other pilot, you know, for, for call-outs, for situations to, to change something, right? And, and so things get very busy in these abnormal situations. Uh, and that was, uh, that was great. It was the, the go-around. It was, it was honestly, you know, a little frustrating, I'm sure, for, for passengers because we're, we're not landing right away. Uh, but, but I think even with that Goron, we still got to the gate 10 minutes early, so it, it doesn't matter, right? And, and even if we are late, it doesn't matter. Safety, safety first. Safety is paramount, and if it means taking a delay, that's okay, you know? And I think a lot of the general traveling public takes a lot of this, this travel thing, you know, airline travel, they take a lot of it for granted, and they don't understand a lot of the, the, the behind-the-scenes things that are going on up front when we're coming into places like New York's LaGuardia Airport. Things get busy, uh, and it's just, it's part of the job, and, and we're used to it, but it, every, I swear, every single trip, there's always something new to learn, and it's it's really fascinating, and that's what I love most about about the job. And uh, and so, the, you know, this, this past couple weeks have been incredibly busy, but I've, I've been flying with some great captains, having a blast. And, and even though, you know, things got really busy and, and it was just, it was tragic to, to have a, a loss in the family. Uh, you know, I, I had an interview and then a few days later I, I got a job offer and, and then I'm still flying again and, and uh, staying busy. And, and it's, it's just, uh, it's good. Life is good. And uh, so that's, you know, that's kind of my recap of, of the past couple of weeks. I you know, I've, I've talked about uh, the busyness the last two weeks, and then we had the the interview with Brandon a couple weeks prior, and it's I'm definitely you know I gotta I gotta set set a t- set aside some more time and and just plan out some more of these podcasts because the last couple episodes it's kind of been last minute like oh you know I need to put something together, uh, and a lot of times I will I will actually write out uh, sort of a script just to kind of collect my thoughts and and put down on paper you know what what I want to say. And I'll be honest, this episode right now that I'm recording, I'm just, I'm kind of winging it, <laughs> pun intended. Um, <laughs> I, there's just, there's a lot on my mind and it's, it's a little hard to collect my thoughts and I also don't have as much time today <laughs> to get this done. Uh, but I, I'm still, you know, I still want to get these episodes out on time, you know, a regular Friday release so that you guys can all 
tune in and, and have some entertainment because I, I myself have started to, to listen into a couple podcasts and gosh, it's so much fun. You know, I, I had, when, when podcasts first came out, I never, I never really caught on to that. Uh, and, and I've always been an avid listener to music. You know, I, I love having Spotify and, and listening to tons of music and exploring new music and, and using radio stations from certain songs that I really enjoyed to, to help uh, find new music. And so I've, I've primarily just been a music listener. But now that I've started this journey into podcasting, I've started listening to other podcasts. And it's it's really fun. There's, there's this one podcast... Uh, called Nanlandia, and it is this woman who uh, I believe she was born and raised in New Orleans. Maybe she was born somewhere else, but she spent a lot of her her uh, upbringing in New Orleans, and uh, and then she she moved to Western Massachusetts and she opened this restaurant, uh, Elmer's, in, in Ashfield, Massachusetts, and that's where I got uh, essentially one of my first. Not one of my first jobs, but I want to say the first official job as a 16-year-old on a W-2. You know, my first actual job other than just, you know, small jobs for cash, mowing lawn, you know, loading people's wood or splitting wood, whatever. Uh, but but this was one of my first jobs. And so uh, she also is, is a phenomenal writer. Uh, she's really creative. She's really passionate about getting to meet people and and learning from you know their backgrounds and, and their lives and so uh, for the longest time she's had these newsletters which are really fun to to read usually on a weekly basis and i guess she had some people um that convinced her hey you should do a podcast and so she she's met up with this one woman tracy and, and they uh they're doing a podcast now which is really fun and she i uh, believe yeah every single episode is is interviewing someone and whether that's someone she's known for years or someone that she just met uh, she she does these interview episodes and they're they're such they're they're such a hoot to listen to because I I obviously know this woman Nan really well because I worked with her for a long time uh, and and so it's so great to hear her voice because she's she's just really passionate about learning about other people and so I, I've been in touch with her and I said hey you know I, I love listening to your podcast and she said oh great thank you you know I want to get you on the podcast and so um, this summer she she spends her winters usually down in New Orleans. Uh, so when she comes back to, to Massachusetts, we're going we're gonna to set up a time and interview and, and I'm going to hop on that podcast. And, and that'll be really fun, too, because it'll, it'll have me on the other side. You know, here I am. I'm, I'm talking about myself and talking about my life and, and things that have happened within aviation. And, and then I've gotten to interview some people and, uh, and it'll be fun to be on the other side, you know, answering questions and, and sharing my passion from, from another person's perspective and, and uh, being on a different show. And, and that'll be a, a good thing, too, to to kind of promote each other, you know, um, I'll, I'm sure I'll talk about this podcast a little bit on, on her show and, and maybe from her show, we'll, we'll get a few more listeners on, on this show. So, uh, it'll be a great way to, to, to connect and, and to promote each other's podcast and, and just to meet up and have a good time. I, I haven't seen her in, in quite a while. Um, probably last summer I saw her a couple times at the, at the farmer's market where, uh, my, my mom's, uh, my parents have, uh, the, the farm set up where they, they sell microgreens and breakfast sandwiches, and uh, it's 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 definitely a, a beautiful thing that happens during the summer. So if you're ever in Western Massachusetts, uh, Saturday morning, yeah, and from I want to say towards the end of May until uh, beginning of October, there is this uh, little farm called Heartbeat Gardens that my mother is. Uh, you know, she's grown microgreens and, and all kinds of other vegetables, and then she's got a ton of chickens. They just got like another 45 chickens. So there's like 80 chickens or something. <laughs> it's a lot of chickens. 
and so with those eggs, she makes breakfast sandwiches and she teams up with the, the nearby bakery and you can get these croissant sandwiches. Uh, and, and it's just this great scene. And so Nan is, is a, you know, she's a big part of that. Uh, she gets involved with that. And, uh, and so that, I think that was the last time I saw her. So it'll be really fun to meet up with her and, 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 uh, just talk about, you know, what's going on in my life. Uh, because I, I don't think I've really talked in depth with her about, uh, what, what I've been doing lately as, as an airline pilot. And so it'll be really good to catch up. Uh, because she she always it's really funny and anytime I've, I've updated anything on social media you know about a milestone in my career she 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 usually puts a comment like and you know it all started with dishwashing at, at the grocery or at the, at the restaurant it's like yeah that's definitely true you know my my work ethic started from a very young age you know my dad he he told me that hey guess what if you work hard early on in life, it'll only do good things for you. And so that's exactly what I've done. And it's what I continue to do is if you, you just work your butt off within reason, you got to have your time off, you got to spend time with family. But if you work your butt off and, um, you know, you do the right thing and you, you your reputation will precede yourself, you know, you, you work up this really good, uh, work ethic, um, and, and you'll, you'll build yourself a reputation and, and people will appreciate you for, for what you do. And, and that's exactly what I've done. And, you know, I take pride in that. Uh, and, you know, not to, to be too boastful or anything, you know, I, I, still, I still stay humble about that too because there's always, there's always something new to learn. And there's, you know, so many people out there with, with so much knowledge to share as well. And, and Nan is one of those people too. And so she's, she definitely helped me in my, you know, launching into my professional career. She's had great advice for me back when I was working for her uh, at the restaurant and then in the catering business as well. So she definitely, um, she likes to claim credit to, to uh, you know, some of my milestones uh, and she's absolutely right. Um, there, there's been a lot of life lessons learned early on as a teenager that I've, that I've carried with me uh, into my current career. So I'm really excited. Uh, sometime this summer, I'm going to get on that podcast. And, and once I do, you know, whatever episode we're on here at, on, on uh, clear for takeoff, we'll, I'll, I'll make sure to, to, you know, let you know the, well, like I said, it's called Nanlandia, but, but I'll let you know the episode and you, you can find it. It's, it'll be just like this one. It'll be on all the platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google, wh- whatever you're using to listen to this, uh, it'll be on there as well. So but anyway, that uh, that pretty much concludes this week's episode of Clear for Takeoff. It's kind of just a life story, life update. You know, a lot's happened. Uh, the last couple weeks have been incredibly busy. I've had to, to deal with some grief uh, amongst all this busyness going on in the last the last couple weeks, and it's been really hard losing my grandmother, Momor, um, because we we all really loved her, uh, and she was a remarkable woman, and she really. Like I said earlier, she she cared so much more about the people around her instead of herself. I mean, right up until the end, well, I guess ever since um, she had to move out of her apartment and kind of lose that that sense of uh, independence where she couldn't do everything anymore, that was really hard for her. Uh, and, and it wasn't that she was stubborn and, and didn't want to go because, you know, there's there's plenty of people who really struggle with giving up that independence and they it'll be hard to work with them it was it was never really hard to work with her regarding you know losing her independence she just always felt bad she really she wanted to make sure that whatever happened she was not the reason that it was going to cause family stress uh and and it's impossible to not cause any stress in a family when when something like this is going on but 
she made it pretty easy because of how loving and caring she was. And and like I said, up until the end, she she was always saying, you know, I worry about you know being in this situation and having you guys have to take care of me. And I said, you know, one more, it's it's fine. You know, we love you and we want to make sure you're really comfortable. Uh, nobody, none of us want to see you go. But if you're ready to go, well, it's your time, and we just want to make sure you're comfortable. So it, again, it was really profound that she knew the month she was going to go, uh, but she still cared more about other people. And uh, and I, I could only hope to be like her when I'm older. That uh, you know, it really what matters most is is the people around you, the family that you have, and uh, and I I know there's there's plenty of people out there that have some tough relationships with their family members whether it's their parents their grandparents you know whoever it might be but if there's any way for you to resolve some of the conflict that you've had in your family and and just be able to get over that and and just you know hug your family you know let them know you love them because you you never know the last day that they might have on on earth you know they at some point it's the cycle of life they're gonna leave us and it's really hard and I it's been difficult because I, I would love to have just one more time, just one more conversation with her and just tell her how much I love her. But, but I, I know I did. I had a really, good, a really good visit with her a couple weeks before she passed. But gosh, you just you can't help but want one more time with your loved one. And so I'm just going to leave you with that, that uh, hug your loved ones. You know, give, give your parents a hug. Tell them you love them your sisters, you know, your, your children, wh- whoever's listening to this, just give, give your family a hug. And, and your friends, too. This goes for your friends, too. You know, the people who are around you, who support you, who, who believe in you, you know, let them know. Uh, a lot of times we kind of take for granted that, oh, it's a given that people know, you know, that we appreciate them. But even if it is, and even if they know, just let them know. Let them know that you, you really love them. Because uh, you know, there's there's a lot of years ahead of, of many of us, but life uh, life can seem short at times, and so you really just need to appreciate it for what it is and, and appreciate the people around you. So, anyway, that concludes this week's episode of Clear for Takeoff. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be back next week. I'm hoping to get in with some more interviews at some point. I'll, I'll try and and get those in there, but uh, perhaps I'll dig into some of my past and bring up some more stories, like uh, you know. I've told you about the the check ride failures, or, or uh, you know the different different things I've learned back in the flight instructing days. But I'll, I'll dig around and, and see what uh, what else I want to talk about. Uh, or you know, if <laughs> by the time next Friday rolls around, it'll be uh, another busy week with some crazy stuff to talk about. So who knows? Or maybe after today's last uh, last legs uh, today, we go Buffalo to to Reagan to DC Reagan, then Reagan to Kennedy, and then Kennedy back to Boston. We get in late at night tonight. So who knows? Maybe something exciting will happen today, and and I'll share with you on next week's episode. But anyway, until next Friday, as always, fly safe. Mm-hmm.